Love doesn't stay fresh without doing it God's way. Today, we're looking at how we can make love fresh again in our lives. This message is the eighth in the series, Fresh. The message is entitled, Fresh Love, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. When was the last time you lost something really important to you? Like your keys. You ever had that happen? You're heading out to work in the morning or going somewhere and you're late, you're running late, and you say, my goodness, where are my keys? You're looking everywhere for them and you can't seem to find them and you're thinking about all the last places where you might have laid them and you go through this mad dash, this search trying to find them. Maybe it's something else you've lost recently that you had to search for. And there's something that happens when you lose something that is very, very valuable that creates a kind of a panic, a response, a reaction, a, resp- uh, a very intentional kind of process inside of us that says, I'm going to keep going until I find it. I'm not going to give up. It's too important for me not to find it. Well, when it comes to the truth of finding things that we've lost, there perhaps is nothing more important to find than love. That when we lost love, it's extremely important that we get busy pursuing it, that we look for it, that if we've lost it in any realm of life, we have to go after it with intentionality. Because the Bible says that love is one of the most important things that you'll ever have. In fact, the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that there are three things that abide, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest thing is love. And so if you've lost it, If it's not quite as strong in some area of your life, it's important to create an intentional search and say, how can I get it back and how can I keep it? How can I make sure that I don't lose it again? See, the Bible is very clear about love and teaching us that love is something that has to be processed. It doesn't just happen in your life. You have to work on it. It requires some effort. We looked last week at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, that reminded us of this. Let me read it for you again. It says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How can we stir up? How can we stimulate? How can we cause one another to experience more love? How can we be more loving and how can we encourage in others? And the Bible also warns us that in the last days, one of the most significant challenges of people will be the fact that they will lose their love. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 24, that in the last days, love will grow cold. Paul talked about it to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when he said, hey, in the last days, people are going to be unloving. People are going to be unforgiving. They're going to be slanderous in the way that they live their lives. They're only going to think about themselves. And so the more we move toward the last days, the easier it's going to be for the devil, the adversary, to steal our love, to cause us to lose it. So how do we keep it fresh? How do we regain it? How do we find love if you've lost it somewhere? Your love for God, your love for other people. I talked about two things last weekend. I talked about the the fact that we have to appreciate a love life, and it's important to appreciate the fact that love is something that we are to give, not just receive. We have to learn to reach out and extend it to others. And I talked last weekend about the fact that we have to assess our love levels. We have to know where we are in the process of loving. And there are two more things I want to talk about this weekend that will help you to become better in your love life, loving God and loving others. The first thing for this weekend is you and I need to address our love limits. We need to address the limits that we placed on our love. What is lovelessness? Lovelessness, very simple, is a, simply is a limit that we have placed on our willingness to love. Let me say that again. Lovelessness is a limit or limits that we have placed, key here, on our willingness to love. 
quite often we think of lovelessness as something that just happens in a relationship, but it doesn't just happen. It's when you and I start limiting our willingness to love somebody else. It's a choice that you make. See, lovelessness doesn't happen in your life because someone else causes it to happen. Lovelessness happens because you choose to put some limits on how willing you are to love someone else. And to understand this, we have to understand God's definition of love because God's definition of love is very different from our definition of love. See, God defines love in a very specific way. And on your notes, there's a statement I'm going to ask you to read together with me. And uh, it, it starts with the phrase, according to God. And so both in Frederick and Gaithersburg, let's all read aloud and loudly uh, this statement. Let it define to some degree God's love for us. Here we go. According to God, love starts not as a feeling, but as a commitment that brings connection that produces care. Circle three words there, commitment, connection, and care. Love, according to God, is a, not a feeling. It is something that starts as a key word, commitment, that results in a connection that produces care. We'll say it this way. Love is a decision for certain attitudes and actions that results in feelings. Now, in the world in which we live, if you ask most folks, what is love? They try to describe it in some kind of feeling term. It's this thing I feel, this attraction I feel towards someone, this affection I feel towards someone. And we, we, we always start in the human realm describing love at this level, our feelings. But God says, no, that's not how love really operates. Real love operates in a different manner. Real love, God's love, starts first and foremost with a commitment, and the commitment leads to certain attitudes and actions. And then out of those commitments and attitudes and actions will come a feeling or feelings that you will have. And so it really makes love quite different for us. See, love has nothing to do from God's perspective first and foremost about what you feel. Isn't that good to know? Because that means you can love people that you don't even like. See, that's important for us to grasp because sometimes in life we're not going to particularly be attracted to everybody and like everybody. Not everybody's going to have the same kind of personality chemistry with us that we would like to have with the people that we kind of have some level of connection with in terms of just the emotional elements. But we can make a choice based upon God's Word to actually love. And God shows this to us Himself. This is the kind of love that God has for you. God's love for you is not based on God's feelings about you. Now, does God feel attracted? attracted to you? And does God feel uh, affection for you? Of course He does. But His love is based in commitment. He's made a decision in His integrity as God that He has chosen to love you and me, no matter what we do, up and downs of life. Aren't you glad that God doesn't love you one day and hate you the next? He doesn't love you when you're being good and hate you when you're being bad. God loves you all the time because it's not about His feeling. It's about His commitment to you. Notice John chapter 3, verse 16, a very familiar passage. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Notice this. God so loved, He made a decision to love the world that He actually did something. He gave His only begotten Son. Nowhere in that passage, does it say anything about feelings? 
Notice Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We heard it a few moments ago. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So you see that God's love extended to us from a decision of God's will as an action to send His Son while we were still sinners. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Let's read this one together. Let's all read aloud and loudly. Again, all in Frederick Gaithersburg. Here we go. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let me stop there for a moment. Has there ever been a time that you were in a relationship where you just, you just felt something for that person you just wanted to say you could not hardly help but saying, I love you? It just came out. And then maybe a day later or two days later, you felt something very different. And it wasn't the I love you. Maybe it was I hate you. I don't like you anymore. Because, see, statements flow out of an emotion of the heart at a particular moment. Whatever's going on feeling-wise in your heart is going to be reflected in the feelings, in the, in, the, in the words that you say. And so here John, writing inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, Dear children, let's don't just say we love each other. Don't just say it when you feel it. He says, but let us show the truth by our, what's the word there? Action. So what is love? Love is a decision that results in certain attitudes and certain actions in our life. Now, when we stop loving, we stop loving by choice. This is important, okay? Got that? When you stop loving, it's not a matter of losing feelings. You stop loving when you stop loving by a choice, a decision you've made to stop certain attitudes and to stop certain actions. That puts you more in the driver's seat regarding responding to what love is all about. Now, love is extremely important. We know that. I want to show you how important love is. Love is so important that Jesus said it this way. He said, even when people treat you the wrong way, your response needs to be what? Love. Even when people aren't responding to you the way you'd like for them to respond, your attitude, your actions still need to be based at a decision to be loving. Notice in Matthew chapter 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus said. He said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That sort of makes common sense, doesn't it? Love the people that love you, hate the people that hate you. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. Anyone ever wish that verse wasn't in the Bible? But it's right there. The Scripture says what you do is love enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be, notice this, children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven or heavenly Father is perfect. So God is saying, I want you to show the same kind of love to others that I show to you. Jesus raised the love bar, didn't he? He helped us to see that love, again, was not about this. It was all about this and this. This teaching about love, this understanding of God's love, is, is just per, it just permeates the New Testament. There's no way that I could take you on an exhaustive study today of, of all the different verses that relate to this, but I want to give you just a smattering of some of those verses, and I'll quickly take you through them. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to do what? 
love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Romans 13, verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Down to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If, you have any, if any of you have a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul took seriously this whole idea of love as well. He picked up on the theme of Jesus and taught the early church the value of love. In fact, Paul was so concerned about love that when he was in prison, he was in a Philippian prison. Listen closely to this, very important. When Paul was in in jail in Philippi, or excuse me, in Rome, as he's in this horrible set of circumstances, he's actually chained to a Roman guard's 24 hours a day. He's living in the Mamertine prison, which was a horrible prison. He's got a lot of stuff on his mind. He's, ca- he's caring about all these different churches and concerned about what's happening because he can't get to them. He's having to send people like Timothy and Titus to find out what's going on in all these different churches. So he has all this weight. He's dealing with his own personal circumstances. He has all the weight of the churches upon him. And he pins a letter to the church at Philippi, church in Macedonia, Philippian church. And in, the Philippian, in this letter to the Philippian church, he was so concerned about the spiritual quality of love in the church that he actually picks up on an issue that was going on between two sisters in the church. Can you imagine this? This guy's got a lot of stuff on his mind, doesn't he? But he's so concerned about what's happening in the Philippian church, he pinpoints, he drives in in this massive, important letter, significant letter, it's called the Epistle of Joy, he takes time in this letter to say, we've got to deal with a place where love is missing in the body of Christ. And notice what he writes here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He said, now I appeal to you, Odia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, read the rest of that statement with me, Settle your... Here is Paul. Can you imagine this? He is in prison. He's going through his own agony, his own pain. And now here, two ladies and the church at Philippi is adding more burden to his concern. Adding more pressure to the pressure that he already experiences, so much so that he has to take time in a special precious letter and says, let me address these two folks. And I ask you, he says in verse 3, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Here's what I want you to see. Here are two ladies that used to be in cooperation with the mission of the church. And now instead of being in cooperation with the mission of the church, they're contending with one another and it's affecting the mission of the church. And Paul has to take the time to address it. Can I ask you a question? Would you like to have your name in the Bible like that? Would you like to have an apostle call out your name and actually say, I'm going to put your name down for all the churches to read for the rest of church history and they will read about you two ladies that couldn't get along with each other. You two ladies that had to make a decision that you have now let something come between you, a disagreement that where you used to be cooperating with the mission, flowing with the mission, now you're contending with one another, and it's not only affecting you, but it's having an effect upon the body of Christ. So he names them. That's how serious it was. He's saying, don't put 
limits on your love. So love, what is it? It's a commitment that leads to this connection of attitudes and actions that results eventually in feelings. Let's go to the second point together today. Second of all, you have to make the choice to apply some love lessons, God's love lessons. I'm going to give you today a lesson in love. Are you ready for it? I mean, specifically. In fact, wouldn't it be great if you had a how-to-love manual that you could keep with you all the time? And when you ran into a problem in a relationship, you just sort of flip open to the table of contents. Oh, okay, there's the problem. Okay, here's how you fix it. Sort of like an instruction manual. Well, the good news is you have one. It's called the Bible, okay? And this Bible describes for you what to do regarding love. It's very clear. This is a book of love instructions, how to love God okay, and how to love one another. By the way, I've learned this over my life. If you continue to love God the right way, you'll have less problems with other people. Amen? I'll come back to that in a moment. But that's what this book is. This book is a love manual that teaches you exactly how to love. The, the, the question for us is whether we will be willing to obey it or not. So I want us to look very clearly at what God said about how we are to love one another. It's right in the book, right in the Bible. And there's no better place to look than in the book of 1 Corinthians. Because in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, the Apostle Paul took time. Again, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. These words are often read at weddings and different times. You'll find them on uh, greeting cards and things of that nature. But I don't want you to lose the lesson that's here. Because Paul took time, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to actually write down what love looks like, what love acts like, what love really is. He tells us exactly what love is. And let me read it for you, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. By the way, this is something that I would encourage you to read regularly in your own devotional time. Keep it as one of those passages that you go back to at least once a month, if not once a week. Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Okay, we're already in trouble, aren't we? Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. Isn't that amazing? It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. What I want you to see, I'm going to read that once again for you. But as I read it, I want you to pay close attention because nowhere in these verses that I've just read do you find anything described as a feeling. Everything in these verses, verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, can be summed up by a decision, an attitude, an action. See, this is so contrary to the way that we think in our world. We think, oh my goodness, I don't love someone because I don't feel it anymore. No, love is not about feeling. God, this is God's definition of love. And God says, here we go, here's what it's about. Will you make the right decisions? Will you demonstrate the right attitudes? Will you perform the right actions? Listen again. Love is patient and kind. Those are actions and attitudes. Not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Again, actions, attitudes does not demand its own way. That's an action attitude. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. 
does not rejoice about injustice, rejoices whenever the truth wins out, never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. You should circle that whole entire passage. If you, is, is that on your notes, by the way? Is that passage? Circle the whole thing and say, it's my choice. Just write it down. It's my choice. See, love for us is not about what somebody else does. Love is about what we do. And so when we read this, most of us will read it. Yeah, I sure would like to find someone that treats me this way. No. It's not about somebody else's choice. It's about your choice. Now, I'm going to read this for you from the message paraphrase. A paraphrase is just a, a way that someone sort of puts into words a, 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 a translation of the Bible. It's not a word-by-word -word translation, but paraphrases help us sometimes to understand the Scriptures a little bit better. I encourage people to use paraphrases from time to time in their devotional reading, and a great paraphrase is the message. It's not, again, an, a word-by-word -word translation of the Bible, but it provides some insight from some of the Greek languages, Hebrew words that help us to get a bigger picture, maybe, of what God is saying. So let me read this from the message paraphrase. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Wow. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swell head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Don't you like the way that's said? Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Can I ask you, how are you doing with God's love lessons? How is that going in your life? See, this is, again, a passage is not meant to be just a beautiful, flowing, poetic passage. It is here given to us for instruction in our lives. It is to be our love operating manual. This is how you do it. This is how you should love. And to be able to do this, I, I don't know about you. I think you're probably right where I'm at. When I read that, I think, you know what? Unless I have some help, I can't do that. How about you? I can't do this in my own strength or power. I've tried before. And when I try to be patient, I tend to be impatient. How about you? When I try these things, if I'm trying in my own strength and power, I just can't get it done. But here's the great promise for us. God says, here's how to love. And by the way, I'm going to actually give you the power to do it. Isn't that great to know? That you're not just told what to do. See, God never tells you to do something without providing you the resource with which to do it. And so God says, look, let me tell you, this is how I want love to be in your life. This is what it looks like. This is how I want you to do it. And by the way, I know that's impossible for you to do, but I'm going to help you to understand how to do it. I'm going to bring to you the power that is necessary. And that's why Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 is a very important passage in the Bible. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what is the fruit of the Spirit so what does that mean it means that when the Spirit is operating the Holy Spirit is what we're talking about here when you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit there is a there there is fruit in your life and what is that fruit what's the very first one that's mentioned there love 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, nine fruit of the Spirit, but it all starts with love. Why? Because everything else flows out of love in your life. So how, how do we how do we do this? How does this happen? Two final things on your notes. First of all, you have to go to God for love. And second of all, you have to, from God, go to God for the power to love. Let me wrap up by explaining it this way. If we're going to live life on the basis of a decision to love in our attitudes and actions, and we know that we have to have the power to do that because it's outside of ourselves, then we've got to know where to go to. It's the go-to thing. Where do you go to to be able to do this? Where are you going to go to to get the power? And God says, go to me because I will first of all supply you with the love that you need in your life. And then out of that, I will supply you with the power to love. And here's the key for us as Christians. The whole issue of living in love is living what I would call or what the Bible calls the spirit-filled life. It's living a life that is full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? There are lots of things we could talk about when it comes to being full of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you one thing it is. It's being able to, day by day, lean into God, put your life before Him, and say, God, I want to empty me and be filled up with you. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, there are a variety of things that come as a part of there the gifts of the Spirit, the strength of the Spirit that comes for us to do a variety of things in the work of the kingdom of God. But let me tell you, at the end of the day, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you is reproduce in you the nature of Jesus Christ. To reproduce in you godliness. To reproduce in you and me what it's like to be like Him. And so when you and I start our day, we say, God, I want today to empty me of me because me has nothing to offer anyone else. Because I know that in me, I'm impatient. In me, I'm unloving. In me, I am all those things that are the opposite of what love is. But God, I'm asking you to fill me with your love so that I can have now the power to love those around me. And then you make a decision. You make a decision every day. I will walk in love. Say it with me. I will walk in love. Notice there was nothing about feeling there, was there? That means you can love people again that you don't even like. Because it's not about who you like. It's about a decision you've made of your will, your choice to say, this is how I'm going to behave in my relationships with people around me. So here's what we're going to do. You can put your notes up right now, all of you. Gaithersburg, Frederick, just lay them aside because we're going to come to a time of prayer together. Because you can't do this if you, got, if you have junk inside of you, right? Correct? If you've got anger and resentment and bitterness and stuff that's, that's accumulated inside of you, how effective will you be at allowing God's power to flow through you to love? You can't do it. You've blocked it all up. It's kind of like a blocked artery. You've allowed stuff to accumulate inside you. And so if you really want to love, you have to have a cleaning out. That's where it all starts. In fact, it's not just a one-time thing. You have to keep your heart clean from these kind of things because if you don't, they will block up the arteries of love in your life. And so that's why a lot of people lose their love is because they accumulate the wrong things and they stop choosing along the way to be loving and instead they let their feelings affect them internally and before long, all this love, this love channel is just completely blocked up. And so today, are you ready to have God clean out your love arteries? Amen? So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads with me all around the building today because we're going to 
And again, this is, we all make choices as to how we respond to God. And this is your moment to make a choice of response to God. And as I pray for you today, as we pray together, I'm going to ask that God will help you right now in this moment. If there's anything inside of you that's holding back the flow of God's love, that today will be the day that you will release it and let it go. God gave me this message for you today. And it's time for us to let that, that wonderful work happen in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of your word this morning. For Thank you for the truth that love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a choice that we make. And I thank you today that we come, Lord, in your presence, that we have access to your power to help us to do what we couldn't do by ourselves. And I pray throughout this worship center, Gaithersburg and Frederick, I pray, O oh God, in Jesus' name, that where we have allowed things to accumulate in our hearts, where we've stopped the flow of love, where we've grown bitter and angry and resentful towards someone, where we've allowed attitudes to form inside of us, God, that are contrary to the attitudes of love. Today I'm asking, Lord, in Jesus' name, and we ask together that you would clean those things out. Lord, we choose to forgive. We choose to release. We choose to let go. We choose to, Lord, forgive and, and hold nothing in our hearts that would block that flow. And we also choose, Lord, today to be like you to be a loving person, to have attitudes and actions that demonstrate that. And Father, I'm praying today that right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us so that the fruit of the Spirit of love would be formed through us. And I pray that out of this will come healed relationships, healed marriages, healed families, Lord God. Healed relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ. Healed relationships between the family of God. Those that might be, uh, Lord, outside of, uh, of, of our friendships that we pushed aside, Lord, in, in days past. We pray that today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, there would come healing in our hearts. The kind of healing that only you can bring. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. And if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast.
If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.